Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. As we begin, I invite you to pray with me. Father, pour out your spirit upon us now, we pray, that what is spoken and what is heard might reveal the face of your son Jesus to us. We ask it in his name. Amen. So today, we're concluding our five-week teaching series on the cross in the Old Testament, looking at how different stories in the Jewish scriptures help us to understand what happened at the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ on a cross. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? What did his death accomplish? What does the cross mean? And this week, we turn finally to the Passover. We just heard that reading from the book of Exodus. And in many ways, it was then and remains today, and you can follow along in your pew Bibles if you like. It's on page 58, Exodus 12. The Passover remains the most fundamental origin story of the Jewish people. How when their ancestors were enslaved in Egypt, God struck down their Egyptian slave masters and set them free. As we'll see, the Passover was absolutely front of mind for the earliest Christians. When they sought to understand and explain why Jesus was crucified and what happened on the cross, they went straight to the Passover sacrifice of the Lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And at the end of John's gospel, we see Jesus dying on the cross at the precise hour that the Passover lambs were beginning to be sacrificed for the annual commemoration. St. Paul, writing after the crucifixions, declared that Christians should live new lives because our Passover lamb Christ has been sacrificed. And similarly, St. Peter wrote, you know that you were ransomed, that is, set free, from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, which is a clear allusion to the Passover lamb. And the the dreamscape of the book of Revelation is filled with references to the conquering lamb who was slain. So in other words, there's an explicit biblical connection between the Passover and the cross, and our job today is to understand what that means. And we're going to do that in three straightforward steps. First, what is the Passover? Second, what's the Passover tell us about the cross? And third, what are the implications of this connection for our lives, for our day-in, day-out faith? And I'm going to give away the ending, the takeaway. If you remember nothing else from this sermon, remember this. At the Passover of the cross, we are spared from God's judgment against sin, and we are set free from sin's power over us. Spared from God's judgment and set free. So to begin, what's the Passover? And to answer this question, we have to set the story in a little bit of context, especially if it's unfamiliar to you. The Old Testament follows the story of the descendants of Abraham through his son Isaac. We heard about them a few weeks ago. As the family through which God's salvation was going to come into the world. And during a time of famine, Abraham's great-grandchildren went down into Egypt where there was food. And they settled there relatively happily among the Egyptians. Fast forward 400 years. The Israelite situation has gotten dramatically worse. They've been enslaved and brutally oppressed by the Egyptians. A lot can change in 400 years. And the Bible tells us that God raised up a leader from among them, Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, and tells Pharaoh that the God of Israel says to let his people go. 
you've seen the Ten Commandments, you can probably hear the line echoing in your heads. But Pharaoh has his own gods, and he laughs at Moses. And this starts a series of nine plagues, each one worse than the last, but Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go. And that brings us to our reading today, Exodus 12, the tenth and most terrible plague, the death of the firstborn. God tells Moses that God is going to judge Egypt and its gods. God is going to show that God is God and not these false gods of the Egyptians who have enslaved God's people. God is going to humiliate the slave master's gods. That's what the story is about. God himself will go through Egypt on a certain night, he tells Moses, and he will kill every firstborn, human and animal, in the entire land. And only the Israelites will be saved, God says, and here's how. Before night falls, each Israelite household will sacrifice a lamb, and they will take some of the blood and smear it on the doorposts and the lintels. And when God passes through the land and sees the blood, he will pass over the house and spare the people in it. The judgment will be so severe, God says, that Pharaoh will finally let the people go. So the Israelites have to be ready to move. They're to cook that lamb in the easiest way possible, roasted whole. And they're not to eat leavened bread, which takes time to rise. When God goes through the land, the Israelites are to have their staff in their hand and their shoes on the feet. The car should be started and ready to go, ready to be set free. And that's precisely what happens. In a single night, in every Egyptian house and barnyard, God kills the firstborn. And Egypt recoils like a rabid dog struck. And Pharaoh sends the Israelites out. That's the Passover story. In all its violence and terror. And before we move on to what it means for the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to lift out two aspects of the story that are going to shape how we read the cross through it. The first is the fact that in the Passover, God spares the Israelites from God. I will pass through the land, God says. I will strike down. I will execute judgments. It's right there in the name, the Passover. When God sees the blood on the doorpost, God passes over the house. The Passover isn't about God sparing the Israelites from their enemies, the Egyptians, or from some other third party. He doesn't save the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites from the natural consequences of their own actions. This would be a much easier story if, if any of those things were true. But this is about God sparing the Israelites from God, specifically about being caught in God's judgment of the slave master's gods. That's what's happening in the instructions to the Passover sacrifice. Sacrifice the lamb, place its blood on your doorway. It's God giving the Israelites the means for their salvation. Basically, God's saying, do you believe me? Do you believe this is going to happen? Then do this thing if you want to be saved. And what God's doing, this terrible, terrifying thing, the thing to the point where maybe you feel yourself even start to be sympathized with the slave masters, is executing judgment over the gods of the false gods of Egypt. God is judging the spiritual powers behind Pharaoh's earthly throne, the spiritual powers that have oppressed and murdered and held God's people in bondage and will not let them go until God strikes them down. And that brings us to the second aspect of the story, which is what happens next. They're set free from their bondage. And for the sake of time, we didn't read about their escape. But what happens is a cry arises in Egypt, and Pharaoh says, get out! And the people run. And God sees them safely out of Egypt. 
Happy ending, right? Not so fast. Now the Israelites are headed for the land that God has promised them, a safe home of their own. But there's a wilderness, a desert between Egypt and the promised land. And as we saw in Jenny's sermon a couple weeks back on the bronze serpent, they start complaining basically the second they leave Egypt. Even after God's done this thing, they complain against God. They worship other gods. They indulge in a false nostalgia for how good it was to have been slaves. And as a result, they wander in that wilderness for 40 years until all but two of the adult men who left Egypt have died, even their peerless leader, Moses. And only then do they finally cross over into the promised land. At the Passover, they're set free from their bondage, but their journey's only just begun, and there is a long, hard road ahead of them. So that's the Passover story. What's it tell us about the cross? In other words, what's it look like to read the cross of Jesus Christ through the lens of the Passover? And to start with, we have to locate Jesus in the story, which is easy because the Bible does it for us explicitly. He's the sacrificial lamb. The words of Peter and Paul, you've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Our Passover lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Jesus is the Passover lamb who is sacrificed on the cross. And if Jesus is the Passover lamb, then the cross is the Passover event, And this means that Jesus' death on the cross does something like what happens at the Passover. This would be the contention of Scripture. Jesus' death on the cross does something like what happened at the Passover. The cross is a sort of Passover. And as we've just seen, what happened at the Passover was that God's people were spared from God's judgment and set free from their bondage. But unlike the Israelites, we're not slaves in Egypt. What we are is slaves to sin. That's strong language, I know, but you'll have to take it up with Jesus because he's the one who said it. Truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who commits sin, so like, I know, not all of you, but me, definitely. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And what Jesus means is that our bad actions, the way we turn from God, the ways we hurt and use each other, aren't just one-offs. They point to a deeper existential reality of the human condition, which is that none of us is free to live the way we want or should. That we don't have self-control at a fundamental level. The ability, which would be the ability to go through life without thinking or speaking or doing wrong. How glorious would that be? Capital sin, capital S sin is the spiritual reality in which we live It's the name for the bondage we experience, the spiritual Egypt where we live our lives. And the judgment of God burns against capital S sin, against the false gods of our spiritual Egypt. And the cross is our Passover event where God comes as the destroyer in judgment of sin. Scripture tells us that. Just as God judged the gods of Egypt at the Passover at the cross, God, quote, disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them triumphing over them in Jesus. Would you listen to that? At the cross, God humiliated the spiritual powers of evil that pretend to rule the world, that hold us in bondage, and we have no sympathy for these powers because God humiliated war, and God humiliated injustice, oppression, misogyny, racism, all the powers for which we have no sympathy whatsoever, God humiliated them and judged them at the cross by condemning sin in the flesh of Jesus, Scripture says, even though Jesus hadn't sinned. 
He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, as the Bible puts it. And it was in his body, the body of God become human, that God strikes down sin. And if God had not spared us through Jesus, the Passover lamb, complicit as we are in our sin, none of us would be left standing. I have to pause here to acknowledge that, believe me, I know how unfashionable it is to talk like this. But this is what the Bible says happened at the cross. So I've got no freedom to sugarcoat it for you. What I, all I can hope to do is to show you the beauty and love and truth of this terrible, terrible, terrifying story. Because life is a terrible, terrifying story. And any God who can't handle life as it is is no God at all. Look at the cross and behold the love of God, because what we see is Jesus as simultaneously the firstborn struck down in judgment and the pass sin condemned in his flesh and the Passover lamb whose blood spares God's people from God's judgment by God's mercy. God in Jesus receives the judgment of God against the slave masters out of love for the enslaved. And Jesus the firstborn, Jesus the lamb. So that at the Passover of the cross, we are spared from God's righteous judgment against sin, and we are set free from our bondage to sin. So what's this mean for our lives? What's the Passover of the cross mean for your faith, your day-to-day -day reality? Well, in a nutshell, the cross poses the same two questions to us as the Passover did to the Israelites. Two questions. First, whose house are you in? Are you in the house marked by the blood of faith or the house of the slave master? Whose side are you on? Are your hands holding the, the hammer that crucifies Jesus or are your hands taking the nails with his? And how one answers this question depends entirely on faith. Because to choose the side of the oppressed and the disenfranchised in the unfolding tragedy of human history is you can only really do this by declaring that the spiritual powers of oppression and sin are false gods, and that the Lord God Almighty, God Most High, stands above them in judgment and will not be mocked. At the Passover of the cross, God has struck down the spiritual force of sin, and it will never recover. It is done. And all who stand in faith under the blood of the Lamb Jesus are spared from that judgment. So whose house are you in? Whose side are you going to be on? If you've given your life to Jesus, if you followed him by faith and baptism, you've answered this question already, but it bears remembering, I need to remember every morning that God has struck down the spiritual power of sin. And if you are spiritually searching, if you're thinking about faith, let me tell you right now, the Passover of the cross is for you. It wasn't a one-night event. It covers all of time and space. The Lamb Jesus sacrificed for you. God has given you the blood of salvation. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And if you are ready to come home, tell God that right now. Right now. Silently in your heart. And then come talk to us, and we will baptize you right there on June the 18th. Whose house are you in? That's the first question. And if you've answered that with faith in Christ, the second question is, are you ready to move? Because God didn't spare you to leave you where he found you. 
God didn't strike down sin just to leave you under sin's thumb. God spared you to set you free. It's not an easy freedom, but whoever said life was easy? The first passage is through those waters of baptism, just like the Israelites passed through the waters of the Red Sea that drowned Pharaoh's armies. But after that, it's a long walk in the wilderness. And honestly, it's where you're going to spend most of the life of faith. This is why we've got our rhythm of life, because it's a long walk, and you've got to catch your stride. With all its ups and downs, like the Israelites, you're going to go through seasons of doubt and complaint, but God will walk with you. Like the Israelites, you're going to indulge in the occasional false nostalgia about how easy it was being enslaved to sin, but God will provide for you. And God struck down that sin. And I ask you this question, are you ready to move because there's simply nothing static about the life of faith? It is a walk. And day in, day out, we put one foot in front of the other, holding each other up. It's a walk that's really hard to do alone. Turning again and again to the God who spared us for the sake of love, who set us free for something greater. Never forget, you have been set free for something greater. And God will, at the end of your journey, bring you safely home.